around it. Another brand spanking new episode of the Loftus Party Podcast. We got a big one for you. It is the triumphant return of Pete Coriali. You know Pete from his massively successful podcast. You know him from his massively successful stand-up career. And you also know him from being on the show before. So he's slumming it again with us. Uh, Pete, we go we go way back, buddy. First of all, welcome aboard, guy. Thanks for coming back. Of course. First of all, it's too big of an intro. Love you, Lofty. We go way back. I was thinking about that in my hotel this morning. How long? <laughs> how I remember we did this. We started out doing the whiskey Jameson whiskey tour, mm-hmm. but bigger than that tour, which was like you know, I know you guys did it longer, but we did it like two months, about three, four months. It's specific moments in in your life. And specifically in stand-up, that just kind of stand out. And I'll never forget, you and I got in. We were going to San Fran, which I hadn't been to maybe once before in my life. And we both got in the night before the rest of the comedians and the night before the first show. And we went to a bar, and we and you drank in San Francisco at a bar. It was just such a great night. That was the night you told me that whole Copperfield story about writing for David Copperfield. <laughs> <laughs> If you never Dude, that, that that you have to tell them that story at some point. Oh, the Copperfield story? Yeah, it's great. I should. I I should. But that was dude, that was a freaking great night. Just hanging in San Fran, we plunked down at that bar, just uh drinking, and I remember we wanted to have Jameson. They didn't have This is when I just when this is when I discovered just how freaking tasty and delicious Jameson was. Cuz they didn't yeah, have it. Yeah. So we're like, "Well, we'll do shots of Jack." And I was just like, whoa, there was, there was a big difference. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was never a hard liquor guy because I drink fast. So, I mean, I like a shot here and there. So, But I like beer because I go all night, beer, beer, beer. And I remember when we first started the Jameson tour, I'm, I'm knocking back Heineken's in the green room. And I go on stage with the fucking Jameson banner and a Heineken. And they go, listen, could you at least fake ship a fucking Jameson for the 20 minutes you're up there? <laughs> I go, yeah, no problem, no problem, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was that was freaking uh that was freaking great. And then uh our paths crossed again. I know you were in LA for a while, then you and the wife you left LA, you went to you went to New York, and then dude, I was so happy because I got I got recruited to write on this tv show kevin can wait and i didn't want to uh i didn't want to come out to long island i i I really didn't i came out to help out on the pilot and i'm like yeah okay all right and then you know as fate would have it and and kevin i had never met kevin james before and like thoroughly enjoyed that dude's company like he like genuinely makes me laugh so then I'm like, okay, well maybe I could move out. And then they were they were talking about, you know, Kevin was like, we got to get somebody <laughs> in here, somebody in here who really has like the voice of New York, the voice of Long Island. Uh, I'm thinking about a couple people, and his first, the first name was like, uh, you know, Pete Corielli, and I'm like, get him, get him in here. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, what a break that was for me. I had. Uh, so much fun. I remember camping and coming back and there's a message saying, you know, you want to come write for this thing. And then, you know, yo, first my message was from you going, dude, you're going to get a phone call from so-and-so. <laughs> and then you go, pick up. <laughs> Take that call. Yeah. So, yeah it was awesome. That was, a, that was a very, 
very good time. And now uh, I want to I, I want to talk to you about camping uh, for sure. I also, uh, you know, we'll talk about, you know, television and show business and all that stuff and and your your podcast and, and stand up and all that great stuff. But I want to give uh, the listeners a little behind the curtain, a little sneak peek. You're actually working on a show right now. Uh, are you allowed to talk about that at all? Because it sounds it seems yeah. very funny, very exciting. Yeah, no, it's definitely going. We start filming October 17th in Toronto, and it stars Mike Rappaport. Who, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> this guy, I you know, he's just been a hell of an actor for a goddamn long time. Even when I first met him, I'm like, dude, I've been watching you since Brad Pitt was your roommate smoking weed in True Romance, you know? Yeah. So it was really cool doing this with him because he is such a like a, a real he's an actor, man. He's a real actor. And then, uh, you know, we were throwing some ideas around about sports and we, we landed on it's a really cool premise about him being a uh, he was a college hoop star who threw a game years ago and it, it you know changed the trajectory of his life. And now he's getting a chance all these years later. So he thinks I'll leave it at that. Yeah. And um yeah. So, and then another guy who wrote on Kevin Can Wait with us is uh, right co-writing it too, Pete Hoare, who's fucking you know too. Or me, you, and him would sit in side rooms at Kevin Can Wait, and we would write gold. We would write gold, dude. There was like, okay, so I wrote on this show called uh, Outsourced. It was just one season, one season. But there was there was a couple of writers on that show. One of the guys was uh, Pete Holmes from, you know, you make it yeah, weird yeah. with Pete Holmes. Dude, we would be in our own little writer's room and like you'd be crying. You'd be laughing so hard and you and you would think to yourself, why can't we do this on TV? Like this is the funniest shit on planet Earth. And I had that exact same thing with you and whore like we wrote some of the funniest shit yep. like insane remember that run remember that run <laughs> i think it was was leah remedy and she was showing up late and she was bitching about her experience getting uh, coffee uh, yeah it's the 7-eleven and then she broke a nail and went back yes to her <laughs> we were crying we were crying. And then you turn that in. You you turn that in to the showrunner and the other people. You you show them the scene and they look at you like you're crazy. And you're just like, whoa, whoa, we've got a we've got a big problem here. We got a problem. I know, I know, right? So she broke a nail, spilled the coffee, and then she wanted another coffee, and the guy wouldn't give her a coffee. And 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 the thing with that kind of stuff is it tends to like you hand it in. And after it goes through to a sitcom washing machine of, you know, so-called seasoned guys that have been yeah. around for years, it comes out the other end like, you know, like everything else you've seen, you know? Like, I drive me nuts, Mike, when these sitcoms, the, guy, the characters go, first of all, three things. One, I would blah, blah, blah. Two, da-da-da. And three, who the fuck in real life does the number thing all the way through, you know? Pete? You know who does the number thing? A lot of people do the number thing. One, uh, four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what they do. And you're like, come on, man. People don't talk that way. So, yeah. 
So, and this so is, this show, and so I just want to go on credit and say, you know, Kevin James, who I freaking think the world of too, is not in the room during this. He's in another room. So it goes to other writers above you. So it's like, you know, it's not like Kevin's poo-pooing this because we knew he'd love it, but you can't run into his office. That's like mutiny on the bounty, you know? Oh, yeah. And like, and just so everybody knows, we're not crapping on the other uh, writers per se. No. No, a lot of it, no. and then it'll go through the network and 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 like network notes, other producers, yeah, and they just I dude, I remember uh, it was an episode that had my name on it, and it was about it was it was a it was based on a story from your life about the neighbor with the tree. And so, oh, yeah, that's right. so that we did we did an episode where where Kevin and his wife, uh, Aaron, uh, hilarious woman. Uh, yep. freaking, yeah, huge fan of hers. So, so they were going to rip down the neighbor's tree and they did like this stakeout thing in the middle of the night and, uh, rock Ruben, great, really writer, funny guy. Hilarious. He's going to, he's going to be on the show. He and I wrote this little run where the guys are talking on walkie talkies. They're on a stakeout and they're like, yeah, I went to the, the store you know, I was gonna, you know, I got coffee in here in the truck. If anybody wants, I went to the store. Thought I was getting regular creamer. I actually got almond creamer. Ooh, almond creamer. I heard that stuff was good, and it was all about just the different flavors of coffee creamers. And and once again, Rock and I were dying. We were laughing so hard. And then uh, because it was like right before the show filmed, it actually a big hunk of it got in, and then they just edited it down to practically nothing. For time, you know, it's like yeah. you've got a big so this and then, dude, I remember everybody going, oh, God, that almond creamer thing. I wish that could have gone on and on and on. And you're like, fucker, it, it, it did. <laughs> but we yeah. had to show a commercial. Yeah. And, and you make a really good point. I meant to say I'm not talking about the writers. I apologize. I'm really talking about, like you said, the studio is a whole group of people. And then the network, that's a whole nother group of people. You know, yeah. and and then by the time you get it out the other end, it's not the authentic thing that you set out to do. I remember when you and I were writing on Netflix, on yeah, the crew, on the other Kevin James one, the crew, and this one really stood out to me glaringly. There was a guy, one of the characters is nervous, and he's getting interviewed by his boss or something, and he reaches into his pocket and pulls out something little, like a little light thing. And, and, you know, it's it's obviously a pill. And he looks at it. And remember, me and you wrote that he goes, uh, could be uh, could be a aspirin or it could be a, um, uh, what do you say, like a, 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 a you know. A Vicodin a, or a Xanax. Yeah, like could be a Xanax, could be a mint. Yeah, either way, uh, I win, right? He pops <laughs> yeah. in his mouth. That's what you wrote. Me, you giggle. You, he goes, could be a Xanax, could be a mint. Either way, I win. And that's what you said. We laughed. And then I go, and what if after that he has a pause and he goes, damn, mint. mint. <laughs> right? And me and you would die. You know, the guy was obviously hoping it was drugs. And then and then the, the people above us in the in the creative room, I will put it on that, the writers up there, they decided they didn't want to go to Rattle Too Edgy with the with the drugs. So he didn't know if it was a piece of lint or or a pebble. Uh, it could have been a pe- uh, no, it could have been a, a mint pebble. or a pebble. And he yes. puts it in, and then he goes, damn, pebble. So I said, okay, so we're saying our character doesn't know the difference between a pill <laughs> and, and, a, and a pebble. And then the other writer goes, yes, Pete, that's what we're saying. And I go, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs>
it's uh, it's one of those things it's just like there's you know you've got you know the network you've got to edit things for time and producers and blah 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 blah. i mean it is what it i i wouldn't i wouldn't trade those experiences for anything they were fantastic however it does like i know like ricky gervais and stephen merchant were would always you know, Gervais was always a, a, a big fan of, you, you know, what a camel is. It's a horse by committee. And so he always likes to have, you know, full control or, or more control than like an American sitcom. And that's why, you know, it it get it becomes a very specific voice, you know, like with the original Office and with extras on HBO. And it seems like, you know, with the thing that you and uh, uh, Mr. Pete Hoare are doing now, uh that's gonna that is it seems like a smaller it's like i don't want to say smaller but it's like you guys have more creative control which that's got to feel good right oh it's fantastic man and the thing about it is you have that kind of creative control because just financially it's such a low budget thing they they can't even afford executives to come in and watch this shit you know um you know so you absolutely do so like every time we write a new episode we have to write eight of them and we hand them in and we just get, you know, for Rappaport, uh, loving it, love this, love that. And then the producer of the whole thing, I think he just saw Rappaport's messages loving it. And that's all he needed to know. So, yeah, it was like, you know, so then, you know, but then you are it's it's good in both ways because and, you know, creative control, because then you're like, OK, this really is on me. I mean, nobody's getting involved. So let me reread this. <laughs> <laughs> I got nobody else to blame if this ain't funny, so I better really, you know, get it together. But yeah, so it's fun. And it's, it films more like you said, like an independent film. It's a single cam. Um, I still love sitcoms, Mike, and I just feel like I, I hope they never die. And do you find like my mom and I find all older people that I know, they all watch sitcoms. I think it's comforting. It takes them back to a better day, a better time, you know? Here's what I think, and this is going to get a a little philosophical, and I don't want to get, you know, too dry with it. I I think there's a, there's a hardwire in all of us, like, uh, like, uh, there's like a memory in our DNA. It it just, like, everybody's born with it, whatever, whatever. I don't want to get too soapboxy here. There is something special about having that community experience. I think it goes, I'm not even kidding you, dude. I think it goes back to like cavemen and shit. When someone around a campfire would tell a story, you know, like, oh, I went hunting for a mammoth today. There's something, dude, you know, filmed in front of a live audience, a studio audience, and it's crazy. That's the magic of it. Every, everybody in that audience knows this is not really happening. <laughs> they know it. They see yeah. the fucking cameras. However, they take that leap, and that's where the magic is. They go, Dude, okay, man. we're all going to, as a community, we'll all pretend like this is real. Right. And that's You're when, right. That's when the magic bubbles up. You're right. It's, it's amazing. And then you would have, I remember sometimes, because... You know, you and I being comics, some pay for. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the joke on every single line, and then you have some people, um, again, not writers, but the execs and stuff going. Well, you know, would would they really crack a joke every single line? And and you go, 
like hypothetically, let's say your show's called The Johnsons and you go, well, most families wouldn't, but that's why we watch The Johnsons. Because they, they do, you know? Yes. And it's like, you know, it doesn't seem realistic. Nothing about this is realistic. What are you fucking talking about? <laughs> it's like filming Wizard of Oz and all of a sudden you got a problem with the flying monkeys? Everything up until then, no problem? Right, the talking trees, the tin man, yeah. the scarecrow walking around. <laughs> But it's the flying monkeys where you draw the line. Yeah, it's wild, man. But it, it's like, as as we're talking about this, it's it, it's who inspired you as a comedian? Because I'm thinking back to like who inspired me and and who I'm looking at today, and it's like a lot of these dudes. Like I love Jonathan Winters. I loved Richard Pryor. You know, I like yeah. Uh, Cat yeah. and all of these dudes. I'm, I was thinking about it. There's like a commonality there. All of those people, like they they do make believe. Like Richard Pryor was great at make believe. You know, all of a sudden he'd be doing a character. You know, like that that yeah. that, that homeless bum guy who claimed to know Jesus. And you're like, you're all in. You're like, okay, so that's it's it's weird. It's like a real like a mini sitcom. Is that making sense? It, it is, it is. And and with that, I don't know if you call it a character, but one of my favorites was Don Rickles. And what I loved about Rickles was, which also you don't see him all the time now, every single time you saw this guy, he was, he, 90% of the time, he's 95, he's going to make you laugh. But the 100% of the time, he's trying to make you laugh. That's his job every time. Yeah. He never strayed from that, and at least I never saw. Her, and all of a sudden, gave his a political opinion or went soft, or it's like fuck. And when I would see him pop up on sitcoms, I would die. So yeah, I, and, that, and that's where I first remember seeing him is on sitcoms. And 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 I remember when you and I were writing on the first Kevin Can Wait, and we worked with um Tony. I'm sorry, I'm I'm, I'm blanking on Tony's last name, Legend, and I can't remember his last name. Oh, um. Tony, wait, wait, what episode was it? No, no, Tony, who wrote on Kevin Can Wait, who used to write. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, 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 Tony, Tony. Uh, you, you want another deal? Here's the deal, here's the deal. This guy. Yes, yes. We worked, we worked with this writer, everybody. Uh, oh, my gosh, and I'm blanking on his last name, too. But he had this catchphrase uh, that he would just say all the time. You want another deal? You want another deal? Here's the deal. You want, you, you want another deal? Here's the deal. Great guy. Yeah, An great. odd bird. But go ahead. We love Tony. Great guy, uh, incredible writer, and like uh, just a, so much I learned from this guy because he's been he's a legend, and in the writing world, and, and he's telling us one day he wrote all the episodes of Barney Miller for some of the older listeners. That's one of the earliest sitcoms yeah. of hilarity uh, back, and he wrote them all. And back then he would write them on yellow legal paper, and he was telling us and he was cleaning out his attic in his house in West Palm, you know, California, wherever that is. And he found all the episodes on yellow legal paper. And we're like, what did you do to him? He's like, I threw them out. Who you know? And you're like, oh, my God, you threw out all the original transcripts of Barney Miller. And I just felt like that was the sign that, man, our sitcoms really that dead that we're even throwing out the originals. It's weird. I don't know that they I mean, I don't know that they would. I, I think woke culture is yeah. going to kill the sitcom it's just it's just going to kill it uh unless like a secondary outlet comes up i mean there's there's gonna yeah. have to be some kind yeah. of like monster uh success but it's it's funny though talking about tony and just writing episodes on longhand 
like uh, I worked with Sam Simon, one of the guys who one of the creators of The Simpsons. And he was telling me, I'm like, so how did you get into writing? Because like, you know, Tony wrote on Barney Miller. Sam wrote on uh, frickin Cheers. Sam He's wrote legend, on, legend, on yeah. Taxi. And I'm like, how did you how did you start writing on Taxi? And dude, he tells the story. He was like at home one night watching the show. It was on. And he's like, shit, I bet I could do that. And so he he just wrote an episode and sent it in. And they wow. read it. And they're like, wow, this is, uh, you know, it's not the best, but it's not the worst. You got some talent. Come on in. I want you to meet. And that's, he just, he just did it. That's, that is unbelievable. Right? Okay. Well, I mean, so, but then you realize this guy became a legend. So obviously, you know, there's some incredible talent. He was the smartest, funniest dude I've ever met in my life. Wow. And I would talk to him about like taxi and about cheers. And he would talk like he goes, I was the dumbest person in the room. And in my head, I'm just like, are you, what the fuck universe is that like? What is wow. that? <laughs> it's like, it's like you're talking, you're hanging out with Superman. And he's like, yeah, I would get my ass kicked on a daily basis. The real. <laughs> I know. Yeah, like I watch Frasier, one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. And I'm like, if I was writing on that room, I, I would need a thesaurus just before I could pitch anything. I don't even know the words these guys are using. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 wild. So listen, we're gonna we're gonna take a little break. I want to come back and here's something else that I find very I don't know I find it interesting. Uh, just like from up, and I don't want to get you in, in any trouble or, or anything, but like there's a there's a thing uh, where like with with Rappaport and separating like their personal beliefs from their public from their acting life, right? Like when I see Jane Fonda in something, like I immediately I'm like, oh, Yo, I can't let, stand that. Shit. I know let's, what she did. Blah, 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 blah. Listen, however, Mike, I just, don't get Mike. that from Rappaport. It's really wild. He said some of he's done some of the most horrible little TikToks and videos and stuff. But I see him in something. I'm like, oh, I like that guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't get into the social media aspect of it, but. Uh... All I know is like when I walk the streets with him in New York a few times, it's like it's everybody wants to hang and say hi, uh, which was yeah. really cool, cool to see, you know? Yeah. So, and and he's been nothing but a su- sweetheart of a guy. So, uh, well, that's, yeah. that, that it's it's very strange because, like, you know, I wrote on this show uh, with Charlie Sheen and like. You know, when that was out, every, every time I would go on the road, people like, "Ooh, Charlie Sheen," and they'd want they'd want to hear some kind of like, I don't know, story about like he's he was horrifying or evil or something. But I'm like, no, I, he's a he's a freaking sweetheart. I, I genuinely love that dude. He's yeah. been nothing but great. All right. Well, but like, well, before we go to break, I just want to leave you with this. You want to talk about woke? Last night I'm on stage here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm riffing and I'm, and I'm having fun. And, and at one point I go, "Oh my God, look at me up here, improving like crazy." And then I go, "I'm like Robin Williams without the body hair." And I thought that was—that's funny. Is that not funny? That's hilarious. Could have heard a pin drop, and I'm like, <laughs> I, "I go, I, I go like this because of the way he died, or like I don't even—and it's just—you <laughs> can't, you can't even reference a dead guy now." Because of that way, because you know, I go, if he would have died like of old age, then would you guys have laughed at that bit? 
Oh my goodness. That's I can't keep up. That's hilarious. All right, break time. We're going to take a little break. We're coming right back. Hang in there, everybody. Tired of paying outrageous prices for Viagra? Well, we have great news for you. Now you can finally get Viagra at huge discounts. Healthy Man allows you to save up to $500 on Viagra. Why pay U.S. pharmacy prices of $15 per pill or more when you can get Viagra for less than $3 a pill? Call today and get 40 Viagra pills for only $99. This can cost as much as $600 at your local pharmacy. You can't afford not to call us. If you want Viagra at the lowest prices, never pay $15 a pill pharmacy prices again. Get Viagra for less than $3 a pill. Call 1-800-516-7602 today and save up to $500 and get 40 pills for just $99. Healthy Man is fast, easy, and affordable. Operators are waiting at 1-800-516-7602 to take your call right now. Call 1-800-516-7602. That's 1-800-516-7602. Again, 1-800-516-7602. Back with more show with Pete Corielli. We're dude, we're, we're jumping in right where we left off. You're on stage in rally. You're riffing about Robin Williams, and I this did, pretty, yeah. and like th- that's funny. What you said, this it's freaking funny. But here's the thing: this goes back to the to the the Don Rickles thing of it all. People always love to bring up to me, like you know, after shows and stuff, and they're like, dude, if Don Rickles was out there now. Do you think like, well, you know, what, where, oh, you couldn't handle Don Rickles now. And I'm like, Don Rickles could do the exact same bit. I don't think you people would laugh. I don't think you'd laugh. I think you'd be too, too big a pussy to laugh. Because everybody's like, ooh, it's, it's awkward and uncomfortable. It's true. It's, I, and it's, it's unfortunate, but it's the way, and, and, and I feel like sometimes it's that, it's at their own detriment. Like I, re- I specifically remember one time being in the writers' room alone with you and Kevin Conway when we we're working on the show, and telling you, Lofty, I, ca- I got this idea for a bit, and I never did it, but it was about stereotyping and how they say stereotyping is something you shouldn't do. But I argue stereotyping it's it's a it's a natural survival instinct, you know, like. You, it would be like having an animal walking through the woods, right? Like, a, um, I don't know, a squirrel, and it comes across a lion, and the lion eats it. So then the next squirrel who sort of happened walks up and sees another lion. Is he supposed to go, well, maybe that last lion was just, you know, having a bad day. No, he goes, fuck lions. I ain't going near lions. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, uh, y- you're supposed to see something happen and not take that in and make a mental note and, and see it over and over and over and go, okay, it seems like this happens a lot. If you do that or that, that's life, that's life, man. And yes. they just want to, they want to dumb us down into like invasion of the body snatches where we all just walk around with our fucking phones, like zombies, like shit. Yeah. And dude, I, I think it goes back to like, we were talking about sitcoms. I think you you do these you do these groupings, you make these judgments, and it's on like a genetic level. 
it all goes back to like uh, it's like Neanderthal behavior. I, I can't help it. But yeah, if I'm a squirrel and every time I go in the woods, uh, a freaking lion attacks me. Well, you know what? I might just stick up in the trees where the lions don't live. <laughs> it's just like right, exactly, man. And then even when they like, you know, they try to do stuff like this is getting a little crazy, but you know, when they try to integrate neighborhoods, even like the town over from me, you know, they're redoing all these homes and they're giving them to people that can't afford their own homes. Yeah. And it's a great gesture. And these homes, they're building them fast and they look great and it's so exciting. And then you go buy them a month later and there's, you know, certain people just don't see things the way you do. They just don't have the pride in the home that you may have in your home. You know what I mean? So right. these homes pretty quickly get not looking good again. So people want to move to somewhere else where people give a shit about how their house looks. And somehow... That's a bad thing. You're a bad person for wanting to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't think you can <clears> – <throat> you can't just give something to somebody and and have them appreciate it as much. Well, I you mean, know? I get it giving people a break, and it is kind of crazy how sometimes these executives, you know, cut these deals when they merge with another company. Half the company loses their job, but the guy gets, like, fucking – hundred million in the merger that could have easily kept everybody employed but there's yeah. nothing left there's nothing left for them to do because you need less people i get it all but you know it just it's all crazy man i don't know mike i don't know where i'm going with any of that but i feel bad well, for it's, everybody <laughs> it's like this is something that i think and i talk about it on this show all the time there's always unintended consequences you're like True. oh i want to do this very good thing for a very good reason and then there's unintended consequences. Dude, I'm I'm old enough that I can remember, you know, uh, you know, Bill Clinton and the gang and uh and and George Bush and the gang, you know, going, we are going to make sure that 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 Fannie Mae and all these home, you know, sales, these banking institutions, a certain percentage of their loans are going to be mandated to go to low income people. So we're going to make sure low in, you know, this group of low income people and, you know, huge round of applause, huge round. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, that's awesome. That's great. And then the, the number of mandated home sales kept going up and up. And then and then the lending institutions go, listen, if you're going to force us to give loans to people who we know can't pay, pay us back. You have you have to pay us back. The government. Yeah, the government's wow. like, okay, well, then we'll pay you back. And then all of a sudden, you get a housing bubble. Because the banks, dude, it was just like the candy store was wide open. And all these banks are like, holy shit. For every loan we make, the government's going to pay us back. And we get the house back. And we can sell it again. Fucking A. So wow. it was just... It was just open season. I remember a buddy of mine, really funny dude, uh, in Ohio, got his real estate license. And I'm like, how's it going? And he's like, dude, I'm not touching this. He goes, this is criminal what they're doing. They're going out. They're giving these loans to people. They know they can't pay it back. Then they get evicted. The government has to pay for the loan. Then they sell the house again. He's like, this is a scam of the biggest kind. He goes, so many people are going to go to jail. So many people are going to go to jail. And fucking nobody did. Jesus. 
And so now it's like we're doing it again. It's crazy. They're doing it again. They're like, okay, everybody needs to go to college. Everybody needs to go to college. And college is like, well, we could give out more student loans. Okay, yes, do that, do that. Well, if we're giving out student loans to kids that we don't think can pay it back, who's going to be on the hook for that? And the government's like, we'll be on the hook. We'll be on the hook for that. And then the colleges are like, well, shit, this $10,000 degree from uh, 1980, oh, that shit's worth $200,000 more. And then the interest rate on the loan is going to be sky high. So the kids, the kids sign off on these horrible loans, predatory lenders. College is so fucking overpriced. And then they go to the government and they go, hey, you owe us a lot of money. You owe the banks do. And now you got you got Joe Biden going, OK, so I want to forgive this student loan debt. But he has not addressed the, the, the root cause of the problem. And then guys like me, you know, it's not even a fucking Band-Aid. It's not even a Band-Aid on the solution. And then a guy like me, you know, you go, wow, this is horse shit. And then. Every kid that listens to your podcast is like, you're a fucking, you're a douche. You're a douche. Why don't you want to help me? And I'm like, dude, I want to help everybody. We got to fix the entire problem. Wow. I, that, I have never heard it said with such clarity, dude. I mean, I think you got to go get a little bit of a spray tan and a better blazer and say that exact thing into the camera. And you're going to be following Tucker on Fox. I mean, it was perfect. And the thing about it is so many people in this country don't listen or read enough to understand exactly what you just said so clearly. Now, can I ask you, because you are so understanding of it, on top, sure. of, all, on top of all that, these endowments, I'm trying to understand that. So when they say like Harvard has a multi-billion dollar endowment, does that mean they've built, that's money they have built up? Yes. Yes. And the, the most I know Harvard is being is an exceptional college, but like the most colleges, even, you know, lesser known, like let's take a Hofstra University in uh, Long Island. Does that probably even have somewhat of an endowment? I'm sure they do. I'm sure well, they do. Because well, like, how, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, then it seems to me like, is it legal to like, how come they haven't audited these colleges to see clearly how much they're overpricing and taking advantage of these loans and then say, yeah, we're going to wipe away some of these loans, but we're not. You are with your fucking endowment. I mean, what are you saving that for a rainy day? It's raining. It is pouring. And you guys took advantage of these kids. And can't they lock in price gouging like they try to do with uh, fuel? Why can't they do that with colleges? Because it's ridiculous, man. Well, you've got it, it's such a closed loop. It's such an inner circle. You know, all these you got the people in government who come out of the, you know, that they're always air quote public servants and they come out of these universities. So they don't want to end the scam. You don't want to be the guy that ruins it for the rest of your little money making mafia. So they have to pretend like, oh, my degree was certainly worth it in higher education and blah, 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 blah. And then like, I want, I want the free market to figure it out. Because once the government comes in and says, okay, you know, you're not allowed to have an endowment past this. You're not allowed to charge more than this. Everything will suck. Everything will suck. They will, the, the universities will cut the wrong corners. They uh, will, that's a good point. That's a good point. You know, and it all will become worthless. I, I say, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Like, fucking go to Phoenix University. Go to Phoenix Online. Why? why 
go to a community college. Like all this well, horse shit. Oh, I went to Yale. I'm I'm smarter than you. I went to Yale. But you know what it is, Mike? To that point, I think I do know that one. Like when I graduated from Fredonia State University in New York, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had a communications degree, so I was going to be in sales. And I went and got a headhunter, and I went on a bunch of sales jobs from like Gallo Wines to Rico photocopy machines. Um, and I remember thinking to myself afterwards, well, you know, I was a B average student at, at a New York university and, and I got uh, job interviews. So, you know, but then as I got older, I realized people that went to Stanford, I didn't even sniff those job interviews, you know, even though I got, I, I was getting low. So it, it's not that the person from Stanford is necessarily smarter than me in the long run. But the person from Stanford is going to go to interview by the guy who owns the company that went to Stanford, you know, and it kind of just, yeah, the clubhouse continues beyond the college to the job. Yeah. And dude, you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to Harvard and uh, you're in the frat with all your buddies. And one of your good friends, his grandfather was the guy who uh, founded Nabisco and they've got, you know, an interesting little thing going on in Singapore. And maybe (laughs) you. And that's and that's what it is. Then it it is an old boys club, and that's what I think is like one of the biggest problems in this country right now is is the elites that just don't live by our rules, and and like I've had enough, dude. Like like Joe Biden was just giving this speech about if you're America first, then you know if you're make America great again, you're a fascist and all this stuff, and like. This is the dude looking around at the landscape during the lockdown. You think about how many of these people were not they, they just they they weren't even touched. They didn't suffer in the least little bit. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi didn't suffer. Biden oh, didn't yeah. suffer. Nobody yeah. suffered. And then these sons of bitches, these rich bastards are telling us, oh, we're all in the same boat. Motherfucker. No, we are not. Well, I know I, I know a guy, true story, long story short, I was talking to a guy who I know is a billionaire in New York, and he was telling me that when Trump was in office, he goes, I paid more taxes. He goes, I did. And he goes, but you didn't mind paying the taxes because he lifted restrictions. You're making money. Everybody's making money. Things are moving. He goes, but whenever a Democrat comes in, they try to cut the taxes and he goes, but they leave in so many loopholes, legal loopholes that you end up paying less in taxes. <laughs> and he goes and you know, and, and so it's just like, it's like you said, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors, man. When they, and it's the same ranting, the same things they just say over and over about that aren't true. And it drives me nuts when they do these debates and, you know, like someone's either side will say, I never said that. And you're like on your phone looking at five clips of them saying that. And the moderator doesn't even go, well, we're going to we're going to go to the fucking green screen here because we got five times of you saying that they never get called on their shit. Like I said, both sides. That's what drives me nuts with politics. Well, well, this well, here's the one that like, you know, we, we've crossed the line in America. We, we've we've crossed the line. And this is why I'm so. You know, I'm so vocal. I, you know, I, I voted for Trump, you know, back in the day, voted for him twice. But when when the Hunter Biden laptop story came out and, and you find out the FBI had that laptop since late 2018, they were investigating him in 2019. They knew the thing was real. 
Tucker Carlson has an eyewitness that he's interviewing that, yep, not only did Joe Biden know about this crap, he was in on the meetings. He was getting 10% kickbacks from Hunter. I was there. Here's the emails. Here's the text messages. And then the FBI calls Facebook and they call Twitter and they go, hey, you got to shut that down. That was Russian disinformation. And then you've got 51 people in the intelligence communities and former heads of the CIA and former heads of the FBI. And they're going, yeah, this is Russian disinformation. And they killed that story because they wanted their boy, Joe Biden, to win. And they didn't want Trump back in there. And, yeah, and like, well. and it's it's terrifying, dude. It's terrifying. I just want to have, listen, I just want a free exchange of ideas. And I, seriously, like uh, I, I did a buddy, a buddy of mine. He's a, a, a former uh, he had his own show on Fox News back in the day. And now he's doing another thing. And, you know, he's an independent. And we had this we had this talk. I don't think there's any I don't think there's any such thing as an independent. An independent to me is just a fuckhead who who hasn't cracked a book. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just I, wait listen, for somebody to come along, somebody to come along that rallies us all, man. That'd be beautiful. Oh, listen, if I'm wrong about something, I will admit it. And if there's a better way to do it, I, I'm all for that. But you always have to be on the lookout for unintended consequences and, and other crap. And it's just like it's it's nuts. They're, uh, Biden and the gang, are, they're talking about giving more money to Afghanistan. As we record this, they're talking about another, you know, I think it's like 20, 30 billion dollars to Afghanistan. And you're just yeah. like, hold up, we're we're coming out of these lockdowns. We're coming out of two years of X, Y, and Z, and 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 you're protecting Afghanistan's border because oh, it's so important that they have a border. But you're just driven and drabbing it out, right? Like you don't really want to yeah. win. You're just like kicking them a few billion dollars every uh, other week, and and then meanwhile, our borders wide open. And you got 300 people a day dying from fentanyl. And it's like, yeah, I know. there's so much, got, yeah, there's so much other stuff we could do with that money. Like, listen, what about all the people camping out all over the country, man, like to be a homeless. It's like, it's like crazy how, you know, um, you know, we got a lot of shit that we could use that money on here. It's like, crazy. yes, I know. Yeah. Well, you're, so, let me comment. Hold on. Cause first you said the hunter thing and I just want to, just from a funny standpoint, and again, I, I'm just I'm just going factual. I know, like, what's funny to me is, like, they always say Donald Trump Jr. I see the people that don't like him call him say he does coke, right? I don't know, is that because he's a rich guy? I I never heard of saw him do coke or anything about it, but exactly. so they have a they put out a meme I saw um, of Donald Trump Jr. like with fake powder on his nose and his eyes rolled back. And then I'm saying to my wife, this is so crazy. They're like making a fake one for Donald Trump Jr. But we got real ones. <laughs> I'm haunted to suck in a crack pipe. Like, that's like crazy that no one sees the irony in that, you know? I mean, so it just that that part of it blows me away. Is uh, And then when they say that, you know, the election wasn't in, interfered with, but then the people in charge, like Mark Zuckerberg, comes along and say, well, we interfered with it because we blocked this story. And it's, not, <laughs> and it's not about Hunter doing crack. It's about the president being compromised. Um, and he's admitting we did that. 
But yeah. yet they still that that is that is election interference, man. So yes, I don't why they they just you can't argue with somebody that like my daughter could go. My tummy hurts. My tummy hurts, and I go, well, don't eat any more ice cream. Uh, and then she stops eating the ice cream, and her tummy doesn't hurt. And I go, see, and she's like, what? No, it's just, like she won't even admit that the thing is because of the thing. <laughs> Holy shit! It's so, it's very frustrating. The one, the one that like is just I, I don't know where the joke in is it yet. I guess I got to come up with a better better metaphor. But like Biden's giving this speech, and he's talking about boy, these people who are who are questioning the election. That's a threat to democracy. That's a threat to democracy. And like, I literally at my website, theloftestparty.com, I posted a 12-minute montage of Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, all of these big uh, Democrat people questioning the outcome of the 2016 election. And they did it for years. They're like on stage and they're like, Donald Trump is an illegitimate president. He's not. Yeah. It's like, fucking. I know, I know, I know. I don't know. Ah. Trump, you know, you say what you want either way, but I, I guess being a New Yorker, I know Trump, you know, he lies like crazy, they say, and I get it. But to me, when he says about his inauguration, they, they, they say there was more people there than ever before. Okay. Democrats go, this is a lying scumbag guy. And it's true. That's not true what he said. But as a New Yorker, I'm like, it's exaggeration. Relax. <laughs> Dude, that it's uh, okay. So there's a so difference when, between lying and exaggerating. When, <laughs> when Trump announced, I was still living in LA. And then as the thing, as the election season was progressing, I had I had moved out to Long Island to write on the show with you, you know, yeah. Kevin can wait. And so I'm I'm encountering all these New Yorkers. And the longer I was on Long Island, the more Trump made sense. I'm like, oh, I get it. <laughs> He's just talking smack. <laughs> yes. <coughs> oh God, shoot me. Do you mean like like Long Island has been such a blessing for me because it is just New York is just different. And unless you're immersed in it, you don't get it. You yeah, know, and, and we just like everything on Long Island gets squared in the moment. Argue, 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 settled, move on. Go yes. Places. You know what I'm saying? And like it drives me nuts that and correct me if any of this is wrong. Why you can't just sit the president down or whomever's in charge and about these electric vehicles just simply go, is it true that to make the batteries, you're going to burn this amount of fossil fuels? And then they have to answer that. And then you go, is it true you're going to have to mine the ground and destroy the ground in other ways to get that stuff? They answer that. And is it true that 80 percent of that comes from China or Afghanistan that China now owns? And then they have to answer that. And then we know. But because that's that's what I'm being told. And that seems pretty like I'm saying to Sebastian there in the cast. I'm like, oh, so what are we trying to do? Guilt China into going electric someday? Yeah. <laughs> like, are they going to look at all the rest of the world and go, well, come on, guys, everyone else is doing it. Oh, by then they're going to go, well, we can keep burning gas because no one else is. So the ozone ain't even that bad now. It's that's that's the frustrating part of all of this. That's the that's one of the the other huge frustrations 
It's like if, if you care about the the environment, you're horrified by how they get the lithium for the batteries. If you care about the environment, you're horrified by the, the golden eagle population, among with other bird populations, just being decimated by these wind turbines. Then it comes back to they can't store enough of, of the electricity and the wind turbines break down and the solar panels don't work and you have these rolling blackouts. It's they know it doesn't work, dude. They yeah. know it. And yet they're going full tilt boogie like, oh, isn't this going to be awesome? And then you've got places like California that are just going, listen, it's going to be illegal. You can't buy a gas powered car after 2035. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. And then they got rolling blackouts and it's horrible for the planet. That's when you're like, who is behind this? I have a theory and I tend to have theories that come true. It's really unbelievable. But I have a theory that... um, and I used to tell my wife this. I'm like, the only way you're gonna get the whole get the whole world green and fix it is you're never gonna get the cooperation of the whole world. So you're gonna have to have one country take over the entire world and then just force everybody to do this. So everyone's gonna live less well until they figure it out or whatever it is. But it's only gonna be by force. I mean, really force. And I feel like that's what China figured out. They're like, listen, let the, let's brainwash these dummies. And they all go bankrupt. And we just build up our forces. And then we take over the whole world. And then we'll green the shit up. Make everybody do the right thing. Except us. I'm, dude, I'm right there with you. I'm right the, there with you. The rest you. of the world is going to be one big garden for China. You know what I'm I, I, think, I think there's two camps that are duking it out. I think on on one side you got the Klaus Schwabs and those dudes from the World Economic Forum. You got somebody there, and I think China is pretending to be a part of it, but China wants to. It's gonna that'll be the final battle. It'll be between it'll be between the Chinese and the Klaus Schwab people. I think China's gonna stab them in the back. They're just pretending to go along with it now. <laughs> Because China's doing some hardcore shit. China is, China's like, uh, hey, kids, you're not allowed to play video games more than three hours a week. That's it. End of story. I know. Isn't that weird? Because on one hand, you're like, Jesus, that's hardcore. But on the other hand, you're like, Jesus, that's fantastic. In China, they got, you know, they, everyone gets... Uh, um, credit based on their behavior. I know, I know you know that, too. Like, if you jaywalk... Yeah. And the camera sees you jaywalk, you lose a certain amount of points. And when you lose points, you can't, you can no longer, like when you're on the road, you can't check into a Hyatt because you don't have enough points. So now you can only check into like a fucking Motel 6. Right. So, so you try to build up good quality citizen points to be able to stay in nice places again. Again, insane, crazy, but a bit fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, dude, there's such an appeal to being a dictator. There really is. <clears throat> this, yeah, is this is what communists never factor in. They never factor it in. You got these kids going, oh, real socialism's never been tried. Real socialism's never been tried. Because 
Somebody, once they get to the top, they're like, oh, this shit. Oh, this is this feels good. Here's what I'm going to do now. And I'm never letting go of this shit. I am dictator for life. <laughs> it's got to feel great. You know, I mean, a lot of what China does is like if I was president, what I'd like to do, you know, like, oh, you want to fly in an airplane? You got to wear a suit or a nice outfit if you're a woman. Um, you want to wear sweatpants? You're taking the fucking bullet train. Sorry. You know what I mean? Just just automatically upgrades size. Yes. If you show up at the airport in pajamas and flip flops, you get danged. You're now on the bus. Yeah. And you're never allowed. You're never allowed back in an airport. But, you know, a cultural thing in China. I did a hard read on this, Mike. It's weird, though, on the other side, like when you have dinner at someone's house in China, it's polite to burp. It signifies you enjoyed the meal. Like if you don't burp, the the, the wife might be like, "Is fucking guy gonna burp or uh, what are yeah. we doing here?" So you know, this is kind of fascinating the culture differences, you know. Absolutely. By the way, there's, there's still barbecue and bat and everything else over there, folks. So keep your masks because that shit didn't stop. Unbelievable. Yeah, I I highly doubt it was the bat soup, Pete. I'm just still, even, even even if it wasn't, and I'm sure it wasn't. You know, just like we got the bad thing on the Rico Act. We happen to be investigating. We know it's not that, but you should shut that shit down, too. I mean, what is going on? It's like a barbecue at a reptile zoo. Well, that's what happens when you're hungry. That's what happens. <laughs> I got to be honest. I distinctly remember my 84-year-old grandmother from Italy gnawing on pig's feet on Christmas Eve, trying to get a teeth in between the knuckle of the pig's hook. So... I'm sure Chinese people are looking at my grandmother going, what the fuck is she doing? My my grandmother uh, was around during the Depression, and you've never seen anybody eat chicken like my grandmother. She'd, like, be cracking the bones apart, sucking the shit out of the middle. Oh, wow. What? I mean, how old was she during that? And has she told these stories about that? Because, like, holy shit. Lines for bread? Dude, she would tell these stories that were uh, like she remembered hear, hearing stories about like the mass starvation in Ireland, right? And, yeah. and finding people on the side of the road who were starving to death and they had green all over their teeth in their mouth from trying to God. eat grass. Now, oh my God. But she told, she had this one story and it was, it was kind of weird. She always had like a fond, like a happy look, like a faraway look in her eye when she'd talk about this. Everybody on her block in this little town in Ohio during the Depression, they all had a garden. They all had a garden. And there was like an Italian family down the block. And they would like, you know, they would make pasta. And another family down the block, they had tomatoes and onions. And this family had corn. And once a week, they would all like harvest from their little gardens and have like these big neighborhood community, you know, dinners like, hey, yeah. you know, times are shitty everywhere, but we're going to come together. And, dude, that's where I don't want to live in the Great Depression, but here's where I want to live. I want to live in a country and on a planet where people do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You know, I, I want people yeah. to help their neighbor because they want to help their neighbor. I don't want the government to come in with a gun and go, listen, I'm going to take more of your paycheck if you don't give some of your belongings to your neighbor. 
And then you go, dude, that's wrong. And then they go, well, that's not what Jesus would do. And I'm like, no, that's no, you, you don't you need to go back and look at the Bible again. Help your yeah. neighbor because you want to. Anyway, yeah. that, this dude, it, it's been a great, wow. great. Wow. Can, where can people find you? Where can but they find? I gotta, can I can I say one last thing? Uh, yeah, just because I had to share it with you. So I read this. 800 page tomb about George Washington. I always think of you with history because you're such a history buff and I've always loved our conversations, you know? And, you know, the whole book is called Washington A Life by Ron Chernoff. <clears throat> like, it, it's an amazing book. And, you know, a lot of it's from Washington's journals and also Jefferson's. And, and like, you know, it's so neat because, you know, Washington would meet Jefferson about something and then you read what Washington said. And then you read what Jefferson said. You're like, oh, my God, Tommy's stabbing him in the back. <laughs> up. You know, bro, it's like a writer's room. It's like a writer's room. You know what I mean? Uh, um, it's, you know, uh, yeah. So, but there was, um, anyway, you know, I think what's not being said properly is, like, you read this and there's lots of times, like, Washington had massive anguish about the slavery situation and how horrible it was, even though yeah. hypocr hypocritically he was doing it, too. And he felt like, well, I, I treat my slaves so well. I let them go to town. I give them money and blah, blah, blah. I, 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 but I'm reading this going, yeah, but guy, they still, they couldn't leave. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like big thing. And it was so fascinating because he put in his will if he, when he died that all his slaves should be freed after Martha dies, his wife, right? Yeah. But what he didn't realize by accident because he thought, oh, they all like me so much and I've treated my slaves so well that, you know, they'll be happy to help Martha and then be on their way. Nah, they eyeballing Martha every day. Going, <laughs> all I got to do is take this bitch out and I can go to Connecticut. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and Martha was so upset because she's like, this fucking guy put an X on my back, you know? <laughs> So, That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, it was really crazy, right? So then she just moved. She moved. She's like, I got to fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like waving to her. Yeah, good call, honey. So, <laughs> and the thing Dude, about that is it is so funny. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what people don't realize is, you know, Washington, his anguish was because if I allow and say slavery is no longer legal, then we're going to lose the South. And they're going to start their own country and we're going to turn into Europe with all these little weaker countries and yeah. not this flourishing, awesome thing we could be. Yeah. And the slaves even helped build the White House. Right. So what I think the big mistake here is not so much. Oh, my God, these were such bad guys because of what they did. What's being missed here is. Find these slaves that built the White House. Find these slaves that, like, helped Washington. Find these slaves that, like, were so involved in us becoming what we've become. And put them out and teach about them with the same prominence. Because, you know, you got all these slaves that built the freaking White House Capitol. And we don't know any of them. I mean, like, the foreman should at least be on the dollar bill. Fuck it, right? So that that's where I think we dropped the ball is not so much putting a negativity on the guys that are there, but is not shining a spotlight on the on on the realizing not volunteer, not voluntary, but the sacrifices that were made by the slaves um, to make this country as great as it is, you know. I and I know, totally and again, agree. I know it was involuntary, and that we can't change, but at least like let it be fucking known. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember that day? I think it was you, me, and Pete Hoare. And I'm like, yeah, you know, there's a black dude in the boat with... Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah! I couldn't believe it! 
Washington's right hand man. He was even in the boat, and Washington insisted on him being in the picture. But and, yeah. and you know, and we were like, get out of here. Then we put the picture up, and we're like, there he is again. There should be a whole fucking, uh, you know, the way we talk about Nathan Hale for a week in school. We should be talking yeah. about that black guy on that boat for a week in school. What are we doing, man? Dude. What was his name, by the way? You even know. Let's give him the. Oh, the, the, I can't. I can't remember the oh guy's my God. name. You got to Google it right now. I but mean, everybody. Everything I just said is for nothing. You got to Google the, the name right now and say it. It's the picture of uh, of Washington crossing the Delaware. Uh, <laughs> I'll Google it. Yeah. Uh, Washington yeah, he, crossing uh, Delaware painting uh, black guy. Black yeah, he was. Man. I saw a great series about the spies that worked for Washington, and that uh, the, the, that character I was happy to see had a prominent role. They made it very clear that Washington did have a right man hand. It was a black guy who was hugely helpful in winning the Revolutionary War, and the reason we don't drink fucking tea in the morning instead of coffee. You ready for the guy's name? Yes. Prince Whipple. What was the first name? Prince, like as in, you know, I don't want you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whipple, yeah, W-H-I-P-P-L-E. Yeah, yeah, Prince Wimple. He was uh, from Ghana. Here's another one that, that cracks me up. If you want to talk about people from history, just being, there was like, when when the Revolutionary War was kicking off, uh, they, they they had a deal. They're like, well, if, if the uh, if the British show up by 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 land, you know, go to the watchtower and have them, you know, lift up a lantern. And if they come by sea, go to the watchtower and and have them lift two lanterns, whatever it was. And uh, and so one of the guys was Paul Revere, right. and uh, and the other guy was some black dude, and uh, Paul Revere, <laughs> Paul Revere got caught. Paul Revere. They caught Paul Revere. As oh, don't even finishing. tell me that. I just did a tour of his house three, four months ago <laughs> with my wife and daughter. I was in Boston. Yeah, Paul Revere got popped. <laughs> he got busted and like, oh, he's famous. The black dude did his job, warned everybody, and did not get arrested. He he He's the hero. <laughs> the black guy's the one that did the lamps? Yeah, he and Paul Revere. Paul Revere went one direction. The black guy went another direction. And they're like, all right, be careful. We got to warn everybody, but don't get arrested. Right. But if you're saying the black guy's the one who made it and the black guy's the one who lifted the lamps, like <laughs> we, we got to do a History Channel show, me and you, where we just, you know, put it out there. Like, listen, this isn't theory. This is really what happened. I mean, even with the, with the space exploration, we, we got to get a moon rock and go, guy, this is a real fucking moon rock. The landing happened. Shut the fucking shit down, you lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> you know? All right. Oh, Pete, wow. All right. Pete, where can people find you? Tell them the name of the podcast, the uh, website. I want yes. them to be able to follow you. You go to the, the Pete and Sebastian. Is it, It's called the Pete and Sebastian Show. You can get it on YouTube. You can get it from my website, PeteCorielli.com or Sebastian Maniscalco's website. Just Google Sebastian Maniscalco. And uh, I will be back on at Lofty when our show premieres on Crackle, baby. Look for that. It's called Flagrant Star and Michael Rappaport. Fucking awesome thespian. Uh, looking forward to that. Mikey Loftus, uh, you're a dear friend. I mean, I'm probably going to get cremated, but if I went the coffin route, you'd have a hand on the handle, guys. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
All right, everybody, stick around. I'm going to move the remainder of the show over to the Patreon segment. Pete, I love you, buddy. Just a great time. Have a good one. You too, bro. Great hanging.